Back in the Gospel of John, um, I didn't get this announcement at the beginning, but that means we have another study booklet. So I've got these printed. They're in the basket back in the, in the foyer. And these will take us, we're going to be here for a little bit going through John. So I encourage you to grab those. They kind of help. I usually have about 15 to 20 different scripture passages in there that help you dive into the sermon deeper, see how that, those themes go throughout the rest of the Bible, and then some questions to help you kind of think through and apply it, study it. So you can use it for your personal devotions, but you can also use it for a small group or whatnot. But you know, one of, the, one of the most common statements in the book of Psalms is uh, how long. I didn't study it. I should have looked to see if it is the most common. But if you read through the Psalms, you hear often, how long? And it's funny because one of those statements that we often joke about, right? This last weekend at Winter Retreat, one of the leaders made a comment that you're not really a parent until you've heard a kid say, how long? Or are we there yet from the back seat of a car? Which it reminded me of our, our very first trip we took to Texas to visit Rachel's parents. It was a 24-hour car ride with a van we had just bought. And you guys know our vans. We have one good vehicle, and all the rest are pretty sketchy. And so 24 hours driving, not really sure about it. I was kind of overwhelmed by it. And then about one hour into the drive, we got caught in a blizzard. And we were doing 30 miles an hour down the interstate, white knuckle, just trying to stay on the road. And I kept thinking, man, this was going to be 24 hours on a perfect drive. This is going to be like 30 hours. And then I hear, are we there yet? How much longer? I did not handle it well. I had to repent. <laughs> And, you know, the funny thing is, is that, you know, we, we kind of make fun of our kids for saying those things, but, but we actually always, throughout all of our life, find ourselves asking that question. Um, it was only about a week ago that I repeatedly was hearing people say, how much longer before it's going to snow? <laughs> and now, by tomorrow, we're going to hear, how much longer before the snow is gone? <laughs> kind of done with it. I hear people say, how much longer do I have to keep working at this job? How much longer do I have to live paycheck to paycheck? How much longer do I have to deal with this pain in my body? How much longer do I have to deal with this relationship issue, this problem? Or how much longer do I have to wait for God to answer my prayer?" And we don't just, I, I bet probably every one of us has said every one of those prayers, and probably not just once, but we say it all the time. And, and what ends up happening is, the longer we have to wait for those things, we start to get more and more frustrated, right? That's why living in the Midwest around February and March, everyone's a little on edge, because we're tired of the snow, we want it to go away, and it's just not going away. We're frustrated with it. And it's the reason why people who stay in jobs for a really long time, when they just want to get out of the job and they can't get out of the job, and they just are stuck in it, the longer they last, they get more and more and more frustrated with the job. It's also true that the longer we have to wait for God to answer our prayer, we start to get more and more frustrated with God. We don't say it because we know, well, we probably shouldn't say that. 
That doesn't mean it's not true, because we want God to answer now. <laughs> we want you to do what I want you to do, and we want you to do it now, in my time frame. And when he doesn't do that, we start to get frustrated, and people start to quickly ask, well, does he even care? Does he care about me? Does he even care about this issue? Why isn't he answering my prayer now in this time frame? And what I see is that when that goes on long enough and people get frustrated enough with God, they stop asking, does he even care? And they start asking, does he even exist? And I've watched a ton of people who have just walked away from God because he didn't answer my prayer in the way I wanted him to and in the timeline I wanted to, so he must not exist. And it it kind of brings a, a pretty pointed question to us. And the question is, if you walk away from God when he doesn't answer the prayer, your prayer the way you wanted or in the timeline you wanted, where was your faith in the first place? And that's really one of the questions that's being answered in this passage. And, you know, it's been a while since we've been in John, right? We took a break for Advent, so I want to make sure we kind of remember where we were at and how that kind of leads into this story, because it's really important. As if you remember, you know, this was a couple months ago now, we were back in John, and Jesus was in Jerusalem, and he was teaching, and often he was teaching in the temple, and whenever Jesus is teaching in the temple, there are Jewish leaders who are really angry at him, and he's arguing with them, and they're trying to arrest him and trying to kill him. Right? That's kind of been the pattern throughout John. Jesus teaches, the leaders get angry, they try to arrest him, they try to kill him, they even tried to stone him. And so eventually Jesus leaves Jerusalem, he heads across the Jordan, he goes to the place where John was baptizing, and he begins to teach there, where John had been witnessing, and we read, this was kind of the last message, we read that many people believed in him, right? Because of John's witness. Jesus. So you can about imagine how this was for Jesus and his disciples. surrounded by conflict and strife and someone trying to lock you in jail and kill you. And not many people believing. And then you, you leave, you go to another place across the Jordan, and you start teaching and preaching, and then people are flocking to you. They're not trying to kill you. The messenger to Jesus, and the messenger comes back, and they're like, where's Jesus? Didn't he come with you? And the messenger is like, I, I don't know, he stayed. He didn't come with me. And you can imagine them starting to go, doesn't he care? Does he actually love us? Like we said, this is Lazarus. This is the guy that you, you really love him. Do you actually love us? And we're told that he did. And that's why he stayed. And that's hard for us. Because, again, in, in, in our own kind of tensions, the, the moment Jesus waits or delays coming or delays answering a prayer, we start to wonder, does he love us? And this passage right here just kind of takes that question out from us. He stayed two days longer because he loved them. He waited because he loved them. It doesn't, he, didn't, he didn't work according to their timelines. He didn't do things the way they wanted him to do them because... He loved them. That's uh, why uh, John Calvin says, let believers implore or pray the assistance of God, but let them also learn to suspend their desires 
If he does not stretch out his hand for their assistance as soon as they may think necessary, necessity requires. For whatever may be his delay, he never sleeps, never forgets his people. Yet let us also be fully assured that he wishes all whom he loves to be saved. And he said, he's saying, we don't know why God waits to answer prayers, why God delays, why, why God will sit back for a little bit. We don't know why he does that, but we know these things. He loves his people. He never sleeps. He hears our prayer, and he wants all of his people to be saved. He wants what's best for them. In this instance, we're actually told why Jesus waited, why he waited for two days. It says, when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Right? So we're told in this passage that Jesus waiting two more days to, to go to Lazarus was so that God's glory would be brighter or greater. That if Jesus would have rushed off and ran back, and, and that God's glory wouldn't have been as great, right? And because we know the end of the story, we kind of understand why that's the case. But, but notice, and it's hard for me to explain this, but this is, I think it's really important for us to understand. It was loving to Mary and Martha and Lazarus for God to be glorified through them. That's what this is teaching us. That, that if, if Jesus would have done something else where God would have received less glory, that wouldn't have been loving to them. It was actually more loving to them for God to receive this powerful glory through them. It was loving for them to be able to see God for who he is. It was loving for them to be able to experience the glory of God in that powerful way. It was loving for them just to see God glorified. And so that's why Jesus waits. Meanwhile, the disciples, always like never pictured in a great light, they're trying to talk Jesus out of going back to Bethany. They don't want Jesus to go back. And, And they're kind of misunderstanding what Jesus says and and so here, their thought process is something like this. Well, you said Lazarus is not going to die. So that must mean this isn't very serious. And if you remember, Jesus, last time we were over there, someone tried to kill you and us. So if it's not real serious with Lazarus, we're having some pretty good ministry here. Let's not go back. Let's stay here where it's nice. And Jesus responds to that by saying something that's a little cryptic, and it took me a while to to understand. He said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, but he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. I needed a lot of help this week to because I was like, okay, I get what he's saying. I just don't understand why he's saying it here. It It seems like Jesus is just randomly making a statement, but Jesus isn't just randomly making a statement. What, what he's saying is, God's given us, on a daily basis, he gives us 12 hours, right? He gives us time of light. This is the time of the day that we're given to do our work. He, God gives us times in which we need to do our work, and while we're working in those times, we get the work done. 
And what Jesus is saying, he's applying this to his life. He's saying, God sent me here and gave me a job to do on this earth. And while I'm doing that, it's during the light of day, and I'm not going to stumble in that. And so as long as I'm following God, as long as I'm doing his will, I'm not going to stumble because I'm walking in God's will. And that what Jesus is telling the disciples is that as long as I'm doing what God has told me to do, even if I go back to Jerusalem and even if they're trying to kill me, they're not going to be able to kill me apart from God's plan. I'm not going to stumble. But if I go off and try to do my own thing and don't follow God's plan, then I'm going to stumble. Then I'm going to bumble around through life. And so he's telling them we can go back because that, if that's God's plan. But Thomas, he's not convinced, right? Thomas says, we don't know his tone of voice, but I kind of feel like it's like, all right, let's go with him, that we may die with him. <laughs> now, there's probably not quite that. But this is, this is one of those statements that we're going to see a couple things like this come up in this story. And I'm going to call it, maybe there's a better word for it, but an imperfect faith. Right? Because Thomas has a level of faith in this statement, right? He's willing to follow Jesus wherever he goes, even if it leads to him dying, right? All right, let, we're going to go with Jesus, even if that means we're going to die. He had that level of faith and trust, and yet Jesus had literally just told him, you're not going to die. We're not going to die. So Thomas didn't have enough faith to believe what Jesus just told him, he, but he had enough faith to kind of follow him toward death. And so imperfect faith. Uh, we see that also with Martha. When Jesus gets back to Bethany, Martha comes out and talks to him and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now there's faith in that, right? You could see, like you could have healed him. And even now God will give you what what you ask from him, there's faith in there. And yet, couldn't Jesus have healed him from across the Jordan? He already's done that a couple times in the, in the Gospel of John. She didn't believe, Jesus had to be there to do it. But Jesus can heal people from, however, he's healing people from heaven. He can do that. She didn't have faith in that. She also didn't have, she just kind of assumed that if Jesus came, he would heal Lazarus. Maybe he wouldn't have. You don't know. It's kind of an imperfect faith. And that's why Jesus responds this way. This is Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Jesus is saying this to Martha, I think Thomas, and to everyone else, which is all of us, who has an imperfect faith. He's saying, it's not about what I do, it's about who I am. It's about me. And he's telling Martha, he's like, I'm not asking you to believe that I could heal your brother. I'm asking you to believe that I am the resurrection and the life. And that changes everything, because a faith that's only based on what God or Christ can do, it's like faith that's built on sinking sand. Because the faith that's based on what he can do goes away as soon as he doesn't do what you thought he should do. 
And so he's looking at Martha saying, I want your faith not to be rested on, yes, you know I could have healed him, you know I could have done these things, but I want you to have faith in that I am the resurrection and the life. That's who I am. Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, then your faith doesn't get shifted if I delay, if I wait, if I don't do what you want me to do. And, you know, the, this is the entire point of the whole story. Um, I've said this before, that throughout the Gospel of John, every miracle is showing us who Jesus is. It's not about what he does, it's about who he is. And so the whole point of this whole story and the whole miracle is for Jesus to reveal to Mary and Martha and Lazarus and all of the people there and to us that I, that he is the resurrection and the life. And so then he goes on and he says, all right, now I'm going to show you that this is who I am. And so he, he heads to the tomb. And on his way to the tomb, he talks to Mary. And then we read this line. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now that's a more complicated statement than it seems. You know, Don would recognize the difficulty of trying to translate and, and all of that. But most of you, if you have your Bibles with you, you're going to notice that there's a little footnote. There's like a little number after deeply moved. And the footnote in the bottom of your Bible is going to say, this could also be translated as something else. Uh, the ESV says, deeply moved could also be translated as, Jesus was indignant. Or, as some of the commentators said in my translation, Jesus was ticked off. He was angry. Right? It says he, he looked around at, at Mary weeping and all the people weeping, and he was troubled, and he was angry. And the question is, why was he angry? Like, was he angry that they were grieving? Was he angry that they were weeping? No. Because Jesus was troubled. He was grieving in his own way. And we read, too, that Jesus was also, he wept over it. So he wasn't angry about people grieving and weeping. He was angry because he hates death. Right? He hates death because that's not the way the world was initially created. That wasn't part of God's design. It wasn't part of his created order. We're told that death is actually the enemy of God, the enemy of Christ. And death is the very enemy that Christ was sent into the world to conquer. We're told this, that Jesus must reign right now. He's seated in heaven, ruling and reigning, and he must reign until he's put all of his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be completely destroyed is death. And so Christ is angry in the presence of his enemy. And I have to give another Calvin quote because I just think it's a great image. He says this, Christ doesn't come to the tomb as an idle spectator, but like a wrestler <laughs> preparing for the contest. No wonder that he groans again for the violent tyranny of death that he had to overcome stands before his eyes. Jesus comes up to the tomb ready for battle with his enemy. And he's troubled in his heart by it because he sees all of the pain caused by death. And, but he's angry at death and so he steps up to the tomb as someone ready to conquer death. And he says, Lazarus, come out. 
And the man who had died came out, his hands, his feet with him, bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. And in a word, Jesus wins the battle with death. In a word, Jesus defeats his enemy here. And ultimately, in the end, Jesus will completely, forever, defeat that enemy. Now, that's true physically, right? I talked about that earlier, how in the end, when Christ comes again, he will completely destroy death by raising our bodies, and our bodies will live forever and ever and ever. But that's also true of us spiritually now. Uh, We're told this in Ephesians, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him right now and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Outside of Christ, we're told we're dead. Spiritually dead. You may be walking around doing things, but deep down in here in your soul, there's death. And we're told through this passage that all Christ has to do is speak a word and your soul will come to life. All you have to do is look to him and believe. Not just that he can do it, but believe that he is the resurrection and the life. Because when you believe that he is the resurrection and life, it changes, it changes everything. Realizing, like believing in who he is and not what he can do, that allows us then to wait when he delays in answering our prayers or delays and allows us to kind of stay in a difficult situation for a long time. Because you know who he is. And since he's the resurrection and life, the only reason he would let me be in this situation or not answer my prayer right now is because He's going to receive a greater glory through that. And that's loving and good for me. I mean, imagine, imagine if Jesus would have just rushed back. The moment they sent the messenger, Jesus rushed back, Lazarus hadn't died, and he healed him. What would have Jesus revealed himself as? A healer. And they've already seen him as a healer. He didn't have to reveal himself in a different way. So he waited, and Lazarus got to experience something that nobody will experience until the end of history. Mary and Martha got to experience something, and they got to see the glory of God so brightly that eventually we're going to see that two things happen when the glory of God burst forth when Lazarus came out of the tomb. One, many people believed in Jesus because they saw the glory, and two, many people were blinded, not physically blinded, but this event is what leads to Jesus' death. It was after this that they said, now we're going to kill him. And so they were so blinded by his glory. And so we have to have it in our heads that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and that if he waits or if he delays, it's so that he would receive greater glory, that we would see God in more powerful ways, that we would be drawn into God's presence in powerful ways, 
And that's what's good and loving. Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? That's why he tells Mary, he says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And it's a question that, that sits in front of all of us this morning is, do you believe? Do you believe not just what Jesus can do, but do you believe that he is? That he is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that he loves you? And do you still believe that even if he's not answering your prayer the way you want him to, even if he's not pulling you out of that difficulty in the way you want him to? Do you believe that he's the resurrection and the life even when you can't quite see it in this moment? And do you believe that even when he's waiting to act and even when he's waiting much longer than you would like or much longer than, he, than is comfortable for you, do you believe that He's doing that because he loves you, because he'll receive glory. Jesus said to the disciples, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you would believe. Do you believe? Let's come to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we enter into your presence acknowledging our our weakness and our frailty. Father, we often get caught up in the difficulties and the trials of this life and we question you. We question your love. We question your care. We even question your existence. So Father, we confess that to you right now. We're sorry that we would ever question you for who you are and what you're doing in the world. And we repent and we ask that you would forgive us for our pride, for our selfishness, for not fully trusting in you. And Father, we pray that you would not only just forgive us, but that you would transform us, that you would reshape our hearts, that you would open our eyes that we would see you more fully and that we would rest in you and seek you as the resurrection and the life in our own lives and in those around us. Help us to live in that truth each day. Help us to put our hope and trust and peace in that truth each day. Help that truth to strengthen us when we go through seasons that are hard and difficult and exhausting. May we never question you for who you are, but may we put our hope and faith and trust knowing that you are the resurrection and the life. All God's people said, amen.